This is the Unearthing Art Podcast with Michelle Luminato and Beck Lee, where we dig into the messy reality of making art that matters, raw and real conversations about being an artist, navigating the creative process, and expressing our honest and sometimes weird selves. Last episode, Michelle, we were talking about the Pareto Principle. I may or may not be saying and pronouncing that correctly. Um, also known as the 80-20 rule. The idea that whatever we're working on, uh, whatever activity or wherever we're putting our efforts, that if you have a look at the entirety of what you're doing, the 100%, often we can find that it's really only 20% of that that's really yielding the maximum results. So we talked about really getting into the 20%, zoning in on your gold, the, you call yeah. it the gold that you find. And um, we were talking about that principle a lot in relation to studio practice and kind of how we're developing as artists. But it really struck me after that conversation how much the idea of having breakthroughs has become a part of my practice over the <laughs> last year. At one time, I would have thought you're aiming to have one big breakthrough and then you just sail along yeah. on that and then you know you just keep doing doing that one thing that you've discovered. But actually, the excitement in the studio is about being able to have breakthrough after breakthrough. And now you have something coming up called yes. the Artist Breakthrough Blueprint. Well, this this is the heart of everything. This is around designing or engineering, whatever you want to call it, breakthroughs on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And why I'm so passionate about this is because I do feel there's this misconception on we're going to have one big breakthrough, we're going to have one big aha, and then that's like the work we do forever. And I have found that that is absolutely not it. What breakthroughs are all about are ha having insights on a regular basis and designing them frequently so that you can really move the needle in your artwork and in your art business as well. So it's a really um, holistic approach to designing breakthroughs. It's not just in the studio. It's really around who you are as a person, how that works in the studio for you, how that also impacts your art business and what that means to your art business. So I am super excited to host the free coaching week where I will walk you through literally how to design breakthrough blueprint for yourself and what that looks like definitely go check out the link in the show notes for the artist breakthrough blueprint and you can register for that it's all free and you can join us on that page to learn more about it go check it out now basically because it's going to be starting in the next week or so i'm not even sure if there's going to be another episode before it starts so Now's the time. We'll do a better job at sharing more about that. But join, <laughs> check it out now because we don't want you to miss yeah, it. Yeah. So speaking of breakthroughs and what you just mentioned, which is that it applies both in our studio work and also in our art business, we ended up in the last episode just totally digging in, which was really delicious, digging into studio process and development as artists. And I got some great insights out of that conversation, but we didn't at all get to the business side and a little bit more about sharing our art with the world and how powerful this idea of focusing down to the 20%, finding the gold and then putting our efforts there, like how much that can impact 
how we bring our art to the world. And I know that you just love this topic. I do. I can get a little geeky on this. Because, <laughs> so hit us yeah. with it, Michelle. There's so many, there's so many pieces to it, but I just want to kick it off right where you were just talking about. Because when it comes to taking our studio practice, you know, and we find this 20% of gold. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, have a listen to that for that context. But really what we're talking about is when we're starting to hone in on that 20%, which I believe is what creates this unique voice in our work. It creates this original point of view that is really useful in the market. I know that sometimes as artists, we kind of think we should kind of go mainstream. Well, this will sell better if it's mainstream, but not necessarily true. And it won't necessarily sell for a higher price point. So without me going off into too many tangents, let's just stay focused on what does that actually mean to take that 20% and make it unique? And how do we leverage that? It might seem that we would find less people right? Like it would be like, oh, well, if I'm more unique, I'm not going to find as many people. But actually, you're going to find more suited people instead of watering it down with more of an overall general kind of more generic approach to your art. And the other thing about having more unique art that it might appeal to a, a smaller audience, it's that I think that we don't stop to actually do the numbers. Because if we stopped to actually do the numbers, we might realize that we don't have to create art that is going to appeal to thousands of people yes. on the internet. Because are you making thousands of pieces of art <laughs> yeah. in a year? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> how much art do you actually make? And so it comes back and how and so how how much art do you need to sell? Um, and that's you know, when you break really get down with an Excel sheet or a piece of paper and really do the numbers. And you might be surprised by one, how many pieces um, of original art. And, you know, you might go expand into prints and that kind of thing. But even so, how much can you make in a year? And then, you know, how much you want to sell it for and how many keen collectors do you want? And it also comes back to that principle in online marketing and I'm not remembering who articulated this, but it's the, is it the hundred fans or the thousand fans? This Mm. idea that if you have even just a hundred really dedicated fans, that that is enough to support a creative practice. Absolutely. I mean, it's so true that you will, if you can get people who are raving fans, they buy more than one and you can actually design your art practice so that it is supporting that with sizes and variations and certain ways of doing things. And so I think it's a lot easier to get repeat buyers than finding new clients as well. And so this goes into really honing in on like, who who are the people that you want to serve? More importantly, what kind of art do you want to make and and make that shine so brightly that you're attracting those, you know, that literally 20%. It's not the whole population. It's the 20% getting, of the 20%. <laughs> you could like uh, look at, for example, your mailing list. You might have a mailing list of, I don't know, you could have a mailing list of 50 people. You could have a mailing list of 300 people. But what's really interesting is if you have the ability to analyze that a bit further and say, 
how many of these are truly engaged? Mm-hmm. How many of these people have actually bought from me? How many have bought from me more, more than once? Yeah. And applying that kind of effort, 80-20 principles we talked about a bit last week as well, you might say, is it more worth my time to focus on those five or ten people and do something a bit special for them mm-hmm. then worry about how I'm serving the whole 100 people or 200 people, you know, to yeah. really get the, the gold from those connections and relationships. Yeah, and that same thing could be applied with Instagram. Like, say, you know, I've got 10,000 followers. I assure you they're not all engaged. It's like a really small percentage, and some of those are, you know, collectors who are really keeping an eye out for things, and then those collectors are the ones who are more engaged on my mailing list, and they literally email me even prior to, you know, joining my list and say, you know, do you have anything available? So it's like, it's all kind of interconnected to that, I think. Um, But one of the other areas that I think is kind of interesting that I can't wait to talk more about is the most profitable journey that we have as artists as well. And from my previous experience um, with other businesses of my own and then working for another company, um, there's Imagine a product line, and I'm just kind of just talk about like business in a general sense for an example. There's a big product line. There's various price points of products. Um, there's so there's different levels of products, right? Not mm-hmm. all of those are going to be great sellers. And sometimes their purpose in big product lines is not to be a bestseller. Sometimes it's the purpose of it is to stand out and make a statement. But when it comes to bestsellers, there's usually like a 20% that's like the bestsellers. So that product is a bestseller. And then of those colors, there's probably another 20% that are the best-selling colors as well. Even though we we put ourselves, you know, in a like, let's do all the things, you'll find that if you start looking at your numbers a little more carefully um, in terms of like, oh, I love doing this, but maybe it's not really that profitable. But is there something I can do that I do like making that is more profitable? So these are the things that we discovered in our stationary business. We had a stationary product line that had... Um, happy birthday cards, had blank cards, had thank you cards. And sure enough, 20% of those, like there were certain pockets of cards that did better than the rest. What's the outcome from that? Did you drop the other 80% and Um, focus on that 20%? some, Some definitely were dropped because it was like, well, they're not really worth the effort. In some cases, it's good to, you know, look at like, does this help it in some way? I mean, I remember mm. at Nike, we'd make decisions sometimes of like, hey, let's do a statement product. Um, and its whole goal was to be a statement. It wasn't necessarily to produce a lot of volume, but it was there. So it's to- kind of enhancing the brand. Yes. Yes. You know, that um, reminds me of uh, just an example has popped into my head and you can comment on this. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I did hear some artists discussing that when they go to art fairs, Mm -hmm. um, like those big art markets, that 
often the medium-sized works might be selling more on the day because they're easier for people to take away. They're in a more affordable bracket. But it's also good to have a really big statement piece Mm -hmm. on display because Mm -hmm. people kind of see that and go, wow, that's what draws them to the Mm – to the stall and then they kind of are, are, are wanting to take something away from that. They're like, oh, I want to buy into that big vision and then they're able to buy the medium yeah. size. There's different strategies for different reasons, different scenarios, but I think when you look at it, that statement piece may not be that 20% that's selling, but maybe mm. it's doing something else you know, and, and being that 20% for another part of the business. Like, is it is it elevating the, you know, the the brand and in our case, you yeah, know, as an artist, totally. is it making a statement? Is it is it doing the thing? Mm. Is it leading the edge? You know, that kind of thing. And then I think mm-hmm. um from a profit margin standpoint, which it's it's hard for us as artists in the beginning because we spend a lot of time making art that doesn't make any money because we're exploring mm. and doing a lot of things. But it's true for any product line, you know, that's put together in the world, there is this development time. So Mm -hmm. I think allowing for that, you know, to be a window, that's separate. But once we start really honing in on this 20% and we can test these ideas and and validate them in the market, we start to also test what's really profitable and what's not. And for an example, um, when we had our stationary business, I mentioned the thank you cards were just these, you know, huge area that sold a lot. But when we looked at the wedding invitations against the thank yous, against the, the all these other pieces, the wedding invitations were the most profitable. And they were profitable for the way that they were done and the way that it was configured for us to maximize our time, optimize our time, and to optimize the way that people purchased as well. And so it was really interesting because going into that industry, I was really, you know, it was like the blind leading the blind. I'm like, let's make some cards, you know, and the next thing you know, we've we've got this product line and then we ended up in wedding invitations because we had a demand for that. But in the end, it turned out that the wedding invitations were the most profitable and people love them. And mm. that's where I think as artists, we can actually intentionally design a profitable journey for ourselves that if we do more unique work um, I think that's when we can start charging more premium prices because it's very unique and the only way to get it is you Um, and people want that they want to feel special and there is this other percentage of people that will pay more because it is unique they don't want the thing that everybody else has you know, they want to be the early adopter. They want to be the one that spends a little bit more. They feel better that it's a premium. If it was cheaper, it wouldn't make them feel good. Mm-hmm. So that's where I look at it and say, just because, you know, we might be in this mainstream world. I'm using myself as an example. I grew up in a very average environment. Household. Yeah, household. Yeah. And and so for for me to understand that concept, you know, wasn't until I was an adult and really started to look at it from a business standpoint, like, oh, everybody's different. There's all these different Mm. areas and pockets of people and how they spend and how they think. And we can design that for ourselves Mm. and then choose that path. I think the wedding invitations is a great example of that because you have, as a stationer, creating 
bespoke wedding invitations as opposed to more generic Mm -hmm. um and when i say generic i mean every um, day it's a birthday card yeah you know like everyone's i'm looking for a birthday card here's a birthday card they were funny or beautiful they have to stand out against the other birthday cards but it's um something that is kind of a little bit considered a throwaway item. Like yeah. we'll rush into the news agents and go, oh, we need to get so-and-so a birthday card. And I'll, you know, put a little bit of time into picking one that's nice, but really the person's just going to have it on their sideboard for a day or so if you're like me. And if you're, not a, if you're not a sentimental hoarder, I know there are some who probably have boxes full of birthday cards from when they were kids. But anyway, and away it goes. So the interesting thing about the wedding invitations, I think there's an like a number of elements going on there. One is the audience. Mm -hmm. So you're focusing on a group who have a very special moment. They're very focused on the choice that they're about to make for that event, Mm -hmm. all the different choices, because they want it to be perfect. They want it to be great. They want to to feel special. Mm -hmm. They want to feel great about it. So they're very focused buyers and then and that's from the audience side and then from the supplier side from the creator side it's a product that as as i said making something bespoke so it's for that person it has a lot of value built into it talk about value adding in services and in products and what i mean by that is like instead of a, a birthday card which you might you know print 500 of them and stack them up and send them out to the news agency you have the opportunity with wedding invitations to offer a lot of customization like do they want the ribbons do they want it a special foil printing do they want the way it's sent out just lots of things that feel very special to them and also that can make the way that they experience your product a special experience. Yeah, totally. And the same would be for like a statement Nike shoe or whatever. Yeah. It's not just the amazing shoe, but I'm sure it's also, as with a lot of high-end products, it's the packaging, it's the buying experience. It's the limited quantity. It's... Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when we take that into the art example and what you've been talking about already, for example, in terms of the kind of, say, people who are who are buying an art poster from a a, a store an online place that has like thousands to choose from mm-hmm. you know it might be thirty dollars and you you choose it it's not doesn't feel particularly special you cut you like it you've chosen it from amongst all the other ones and equally you're not going to be too bothered about how it arrives you might keep it for a year or two and mm-hmm. then maybe your style change your taste changes and and away it goes but if you're making the choice for something that's really unique and original and you have built a relationship with that artist and you're following that artist and it's a special purchase a special yeah. purchase maybe for an event it might be you know a new home something like that yeah. it's something that marks the occasion for you and i think that Also, when you talk about profitability, that's the other thing. Like you were talking about the happy birthday cards, it's the same with, um, and I know there are a lot of different ways to do art prints, and I keep mentioning prints, but it's probably the easiest example in the art setting because it's something that you could, you know, produce the same print 200 times and there's a small cost involved but not a huge amount of effort per se compared to painting an original painting and you might think oh I've sold 500 of these prints so that's great but if it 
if you're only getting, I don't know, five bucks a print, and then in that same time, you make a kind of amazing piece of art and you sell that for $3,000, that's where you're looking at yes. that idea of profit. So that's what when that's, that's the happy birthday card versus the wedding invitations because if you can sell at that higher price point and then look at actually effort for return. Totally. And then we get back to the whole 80-20% again. It's about the 80-20, I'm telling you. Because with prints, um, because I did exp- I've did, i explored prints several times in my creative career and the, the thing I love about prints is it does make your work accessible, you know, for people mm. who might not be able to afford an original. But there's a lot of work that goes into prints that is not to be underestimated. And yeah. the, the, the volume piece is the part that makes prints successful for you as an artist in terms of profit. Mm. And so unless you have, you know, a huge collector base who is really eager to collect that volume i think it can be a little bit trickier than it looks like it looks like it could be easy to do um but when you start really doing the you know the math on photography you know photographing your work Mm. and putting that all that in there like the numbers just kind of don't add up a lot of times so and if you're doing it yourself like if you're getting it printed and then packaging and the time it takes for you to package and stuff yeah and really add up yep yeah. You got to be aware of. I mean, that comes back to what we've talked about both in last episode and this episode. You know, the one thing that we can't extend indefinitely is our time. Yes. So, the whole thing of of analyzing this whole 80/20 is all about um and all the ideas around that we're talking about is about taking a moment to analyze where am I spending my time? And what return am I getting from that? And sometimes that's a money return and that's important if you need to support yourself or support a family and hit a particular money goal. It's important to be able to say, well, where is that coming from? But equally, because we said, as I said last time, it's about satisfaction. It's about like how you feel you're developing as an artist. That's a return. So in ter- when you think about how much time you're putting in, how much self-development are you getting back from that? And in terms of your business, again, there's the dollar value, but there's also the more intangible things like the growth of your artistic brand, let's say. That's what I'm trying to get at. So totally. that's when you might put the time in to develop those statement pieces or to develop yourself as an artist, knowing that what you're building towards is that right audience. You know, you're putting in extra effort that might not yield the dollars straight away, but you know that what you're doing is reaching out to that 20% who are going to reward that effort over time. Absolutely. And I would say this is true about our Instagram growth and what our goals are with that as well. Because if Mm -hmm. you look at um, building an audience that really wants prints, you know, that's going to be really different for someone who's looking for a high end original. It's, It's a really different mindset in terms of what they're looking for and how you solve that problem for them. That's a really great observation about Instagram because depending on what your goals are and how you've analyzed where you want to put your efforts, when we look at that idea of, you know, reaching the big goal of reaching a thousand followers and even better reaching 10,000 followers on Instagram, like that means that we've made it as an account. That distinction that you've made between um, an Instagram following who are interested in, 
a certain level of pricing and prints, as you say, if you are going for a, a, a really high end, a really high value bespoke type experience, you may very well not need more than 500 followers and you might curate your following very mm-hmm. carefully because all you need is those 500 followers and and taking them off Instagram into a mailing list or something even more private or, again, bespoke, giving them a special experience, um, you might have 100 like that. So the whole idea of what we're doing on Instagram is to keep growing that following, keep, like all it is is to add to the numbers. It really gets turned upside down when you think of it this way. And you you can kind of take the pressure off too, because it's like, well, mm-hmm. who am I serving? What's going to work better for them? You know, and if you can kind of meet them where they're at, then you can start really kind of customizing it. Now, if volume is a game, you know, that like you're interested in, it, it looks like it's shiny from the outside, but I can assure you, I don't think growth and big followings really mean anything anymore. I just don't think mm-hmm. they have the power that they used to. I don't think the algorithm works that way anymore. I think it struggles to um, find audiences in general. Um, mm. So I think it's more about creating content that your audience actually wants um, that aligns with what you want to do, you know? So if I go and put out like all these stuff around prints and I don't even want to do them, you know, like (laughs) it's, it's pointless and it doesn't make sense if that's the kind of like, that's not going to be a great thing for my collector if that's not the direction I'm going in, you know? Yeah. That's right on point for what I've been thinking about for myself recently, um, in terms of like mailing lists, your marketing, the kind of content you create, it works on both sides because I need to think about both what the person who I really want to speak to, the 20% who, who are going to be super interested in buying um, the particular work that I want to make that I have in mind now and thinking about the kind of person that I want who's going to be really excited to engage with me in that process, that mm-hmm. artistic process and be just really keen to get a piece like that. So I think about them and what kind of content and content's a really broad word, you know, like what kind of Instagram posts, if they're even on Instagram, what kind of emails, what kind of YouTube stuff, what kind of, I don't know, printed material that arrives in their letterbox, whatever it is, what they're interested in. And then and and they are a 20%, not everyone, not like what if you Google, you know, what should I put in my artist newsletter, not, not <laughs> what the not whole at all. world might be interested in, but what those particular people might be interested in. And on the flip side, which is really important, as you've just said, is what I'm interested in creating for them mm. because that's what sustains the effort as yeah, well. Definitely. And finding that Venn diagram of yeah. what, how you want to create and how you want to share what you're creating in a way that's going to link up with those really perfect people. That's, I think it's, it's platinum. Is platinum better than gold? Like (laughs) it's platinum platinum on something else. It is. It is platinum (laughs) where you get to find your sweet spot with the sweet spot of the collectors Mm -hmm. that appreciate Mm. that. And, you know, I just, I still look back on, I'm sure that this is still happening. I'm just not in the shoe world anymore, but you know, there's, there's collectors that spend thousands and thousands of dollars on Nike shoes 
that's not a lot of people. That's like the 20, mm. the 20. That's the platinum. You know, that's the yeah. people who have this really particular way that they see these shoes, you know, that they want to keep them in a box. And they're like these really unique things. And I think that if we can start thinking about, you know, art is original. It's a one-off. Mm. It's a unique thing. Like, it's so special that we get to create art so unique and we don't have to be like a Kmart. We can't underestimate the value that we're giving people and we can't underestimate what that means to us in exchange for that value. Yeah. So I just, I think there's just so many opportunities, but I look at it and think, it, and this is really a generalization, so I'm not against Kmart. I do you know, my family shops at Kmart, just like everyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have to say, like, think of like, I'm not a Kmart. I'm an artist. Well, we don't have to hate on Kmart, but you need to think about what is the Kmart model. They are a super huge franchise. They have the, the numbers, yeah. the They're production size. Yeah, wholesale. Yeah, they have the volume. Are you an individual person in your studio thinking that the Kmart model is the way that you're going to, because what's going to happen is you're going to burn out yeah. or you're going to work really, really hard and not be able to get that profitability because it's just not the, the right model. Yeah. Okay. And and we've talked about before, there are um, certain art as product models out there. There are companies that have art as a, as a volume product. But that's not the business that I want to be in and it's not the business I can be in because I'm not unless I'm going to go and establish a company and start doing that. So just yes. like from someone who has <laughs> attempted to do the volume business in my stationary business, I can assure you it is so painful in terms of like you are pumping out a lot of stuff. And what I mean by that mm. is like the volume is required, you know, in that yeah. And without the volume, your business doesn't work. With the volume, your business can hurt you. And I say that from mm. someone who got burned out by it. So um, I guess if you are considering the volume model, just really look at it with um, without the rose-colored glasses. You know, I'm saying this from hindsight of like actually going through that model myself as a business owner and a creative who was part of creating for that model. But it's it that's why it's like it's so exciting that as artists we can create something that's so unique and so bespoke and you know, we can really mm. go after that 20% of people who will care about that investment that we're making into that, you know? So yes. it's yes. it's just a very different model completely. And I do want to make one, I think, a super important point, um, which is that this model that we're talking about, the bespoke model, the kind of artist, artist. <laughs> artist, I know. The unique artist model. It's not one that we get to see out in the open on Instagram. Yeah. And I think that's we, we fall into the trap of thinking that that volume model or some version of that is the only thing that exists because we look on Instagram and that's what people are doing. And do you know why that is? Because the volume model works on Instagram. Yeah. The artists who are going more for that more select audience and having those more bespoke experiences, like they may be on Instagram, but you're not seeing those experience out in public mm -hmm. because that's... That's the whole point. The same way as you don't you don't know necessarily all those people who have thousand dollar Nike 
shoe collections because, you know, they're on a special list with Nike. They don't need to be they're, out on Instagram well, and signing up under, on the underworld collectors, you know, like it's just, yeah. it's little dark pockets. And I don't say that in a dark way, but like there's these little no. pockets of people doing these things that are yeah. not so literally. Don't think, yeah, great so point. don't think because you're not seeing that out in the open on Instagram and can't come up with like, oh, but I know this person and and I get to see them do their business in public in Instagram comments. It's because that's not really where people are doing that kind of business. Totally. Just because you don't see it on Instagram doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I know. And sometimes (laughs) I do get a little um, disappointed that it's not a little more visible because sometimes I feel, and I feel that way for myself, like, you know, there's things that have been happening behind the scenes and by my business that are not really that public. Mm. And it's exciting as an artist to have those experiences. But I can tell you my collectors, they're not usually commenting on my posts. They're not sharing Mm. it. They're not geeking out on Instagram on it you know they're damn it we want our social proof I know and it's, it's <laughs> it can be frustrating I assure you because I'm not, like I'd yeah. love to do you know more social proof but it doesn't always work that way but that's where it's like well what do they need they want a private experience mm. from what I found you know there are ways to do it with marketing partners so you're not doing it alone so it's not like I'm saying you know this is this has got to be done by you and you alone but those marketing partners are the 20% of all yeah. of the possibilities out there. Um, it's, you know, cause not every marketing partner is a fit for you. It's literally, I'd say even less than 20% who's a fit for you, mm-hmm. you know? So again, back to that 80, 20 rule, like, I think we have to decide, do we want to make volume or do we want to spend time with our work? I'm assuming mm-hmm. if you're on this podcast, you know, listening to us, you're probably like us who wants to spend a little time with our work. We want to do things that are um, really coming from the heart. And in order to do that, we have to understand that our model is really about doing unique things. And there's a way that we can do it where we have marketing partners to support us. We have a vision for our product line. I'm doing air quotes for those people who can't see us in the listening because Mm-hmm. Our product line is our range. It's our offering. It's our, you know, littles to smalls, our bigs, our series. That's really what I'm saying is a product line. And each area of those does a different thing. Like Beck was saying, like a big one, maybe a statement piece. I just did a bright pink one. You know, it wasn't huge, but it was this really hot pink painting. And that was a statement piece. That was one to just go on the edge, you know, and to push the boundaries. Mm. It wasn't meant, Mm -hmm. my hot pink painting is not meant for everyone. So I think, again, it's like really knowing that we have options and we can leverage the 80-20 rule to kind of build out that art business in a way that actually can be profitable and fun, by the way. And fun. (laughs) Yeah, and fun. And I think that just the same as we were talking in the last episode about these kind of personal and artistic breakthroughs we have in the studio, where you really have these moments of clarity, have these moments of discovery. In the same way, I think that in this, what we're talking about now, when you start to be able to make the connections and really integrate and kind of internalize and understand who you like you're aiming for and how that fits in like you said that sweet spot with yourself those are also really 
powerful breakthroughs. This is exactly the kind of thing that you're really interested in. Like how can we set ourselves up so that we're not limited in our vision by what we see on Instagram? So we start to have a way to analyze what's going on in our art, analyze what's going on in the market where we want to take our art and have these unique insights for ourselves, so that we can be making choices and decisions that are really, they're really powerful. And so that's why you're offering this coaching week coming yes, up, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what I hope to show people through that experience is that we really can design these so that we can have them on an ongoing basis it's yeah. and business is the same. It's not a you know you do one thing and and that's it. You know it's just like Instagram's mm -hmm. fickle. It, everything changes and so you're constantly kind of putting things out there, testing and tweaking. But it's unique to who we are. How I do mm -hmm. the way I'm going to do my business may not be the same as you, but the process of having a breakthrough and getting our own answers for that is the same in terms of mm -hmm. kind of how we look at things, but our answers are different because we're unique. You know, we're having breakthroughs that are unique to us as opposed to like, it's one size fits all and this is the one way you should do it. This isn't about the one way you should do it. It's about having breakthroughs that are unique to you that are your way. You know what I mean? I love that. I love that. So check out the link in the show notes for the Artist Breakthrough Blueprint. We're all going to be joining in. It's, it's completely free, but if you go and check out the link, that'll explain how it's going to work because we're all going to be learning from Michelle for the week starting next week, I think, by the time this episode goes out. I love it. I love it. And I just want to say one last thing. If, if you feel like you're not sure, if you have the secret sauce that it takes to sell your unique work, because I know it gets really intimidating. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of people who they dream of it, but they don't always allow themselves to have permission to do it because they don't think it's possible for them. I can mm -hmm. assure you it is possible. And it's one of those things, there's little steps we all take along the way. And so don't mm -hmm. think of you having to solve this huge master plan. It's all around learning this one breakthrough that's your next step. And then you take the next step after that. So I want to make sure that the, the breakthrough process really is understood in that it's a series of steps. Yes, I agree totally. And I think that's been a key lesson for me to actually open up the possibility. Because while you're thinking that it's one big step and one big massive plan, you actually don't make progress on it because it's kind of paralyzing. It's when you realize you can do it, the next breakthrough that's in front of you and then the next one after that, next one, that's when everything opens up. It's really good. Cool. 